When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Better Sub Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, I'm joined by Emily Peck. She's the markets correspondent at Axios and a co-host of the Slate Money Podcast. Prior to that, she was an executive editor at HuffPost, where we were colleagues for, I mean, many years. I think we crossed over the whole time you worked there. I think so, too. I'm so excited to see you. Thanks for having me. I know. I was so, so excited when they said we could have a pipeline with Axios, which I read the newsletters ah. every single morning. They're awesome. Yeah, we cover it all in the bullet points. And when you're done, yeah. you're on your way. Exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I really, you cover a lot of topics kind of close to women in work, women in finance, women in the economy. And today we specifically wanted to talk to you about a topic we cover uh, a lot on this podcast that's definitely of interest to our listeners, which is women and work and the pandemic. Uh, Obviously, this has been a two-year conversation, and I feel like, you know, we kind of revisit it every six months, and it seems to be the same story, but we've been at this for a long time, and, and I'm very curious about, you know, how the details are panning out now that there's some real, there's like some real research about the trends now, right? Yeah, researchers, economists, everyone is sort of digging in to see if things panned out the way yeah. the warning, the way we war we were warned, the way we were warned it would go down. Yeah. Um, back at the beginning, if you, if you can remember, it seems like a thousand years ago. Um, but yeah, everyone lost their jobs at the beginning. Um, unemployment was crazy. Um, crazy. There was no daycare. Women were home with kids who were home. Everyone was home. Um, and it was looking like women would be, I mean, the headlines were dire. Um, mm -hmm. A generation would be set back. A lot of outlets warned women were going to yeah. leave the workforce in droves because they had to care for kids that were home from school and home from daycare. Um, and so that's kind of the warning. <laughs> then right. the media coverage, and I was trying, I've been thinking a lot, like how much of a role did I play? But the media coverage <laughs> was intense yeah. um, on that storyline. But Digging in deeper, and I've exonerated myself a little, Amanda, I'm <laughs> going to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> digging Led in astray. deeper. <laughs> yeah. I didn't lead anyone astray, I don't think. Um, yeah. The good news is a lot of women did not leave their jobs. It's not clear if we've been set back a generation mm -hmm. because um, as this new research I wrote about last week shows, the exodus from the job market really broke down by education. Mm -hmm. um, women 
with more education, who had the better jobs, who were able to work remotely. They were tired. They were stressed. They were anxious. They were miserable, Mm -hmm. but they still had their jobs. They didn't quit their jobs. And it was really the women with hourly work, single mothers, um, those making less money, the ones already in a worse off place were the ones more likely to leave the job market and, you know, are still not really back yet. Yeah, yeah. So I want to get into a little a little more of the specific factors, but I also kind of want to, let's start before the pandemic. What were the trends around women in the workforce just prior to March 2020? Where were we starting from? Yeah, that's such a good question. That's why I really was into this research from last week. So right before the pandemic, um, not to give him his props, but Donald Trump's <laughs> job market was really, it was very strong. And heading into um, March 2020, women's labor force participation had like really ticked up. And there were a lot of headlines, if you would remember back then, that said women now make up the majority of, yeah. of working people. Like that was yeah huge. It was like a really big deal. Um, I remember that because he said that a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he wasn't wrong. Um, right. He also, he had a record low black unemployment rate too. I was thinking about that today. Um yeah, so things were unusually good right before, which made the fall okay. even worse. So if you compare like women's labor force participation to right before the pandemic to what happened, it looks devastating. What this mm-hmm. research that I looked at last week from Claudia Golden at Harvard, she kind of like X that out and went back to kind of normal and then it doesn't look okay. as bad. But that's really subjective. Like why not look at when it was great? Um you can you can debate both sides of that, I guess. Yeah, well, because women were feeling the impact of it as it was, you know, like they were yeah. feeling that fall, not the fall from you know a little bit a little bit worse. They were feeling the fall from you know where they were. Exactly, very on point and true. Um, yeah. So, bottom line, it was a really good labor market for women going into the pandemic, mm-hmm. and now yeah. it's kind of meh. Yeah. So you sort of got at, you know, the, the I don't want to call them knee-jerk sort of reactions, but the storyline emerged really quickly that there was this like catastrophic situation for women in work. And I think this was sort of fueled by like, like you said, like the women who were able to work at home were just so overwhelmed and stressed. And I think that was sort of like a factor playing into just this like, this crisis of women at work. And it looks like maybe that crisis for women at work didn't necessarily play out directly in women leaving their jobs in the same way we expected. So can you, kind of, can you kind of broadly outline what the conventional wisdom around women's job losses has has been? I mean, you sort of got at, at what I just sort of followed up on as these really catastrophic headlines, but this conventional wisdom has lasted sort of like two years. So how, how did the storyline, you, you talked to us about how it started, but how did it evolve? Yeah, I think part of it, and Claudia Golden points this out in her research, yeah. it was like stressed and anxious women were talking to stressed and anxious women reporters. And it was like a feedback loop of like, this is really hard. We're not going to make it. People are going to drop out. Like, how much longer can we take it? And um, I think it kind of snowballed. There were pieces in the Times, the Journal. There was a McKinsey lean-in survey that said one in three women might leave the workforce. But that's really, might is doing a lot of work there, right? Mm -hmm. Because what people say they're going to do and what they actually do are very different. And yeah. um, I feel like that's like one in three yeah. women are threatening to leave the workforce. Exactly. Like, like definitely beware of any survey where it's like people say they're going, going to do X because you can like subtract a lot off that yeah. to get the, to the reality. So I think that's kind of how it developed. Meanwhile, there was a, a real big crisis for, totally. you know, 
retail workers, um, restaurant workers, hospitality workers, all women in these lower wage fields that lost their job, had a hard time going back, had to care for children at home, the whole thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you mentioned, the the new piece analyzes research from a Harvard's economics professor that shows where the sort of generalization about women leaving the workforce breaks down. So which women left the workforce? And I guess you mentioned which, but why? And how did this differ from assumptions and how we've referred to this trends? Why was it that college-educated women were able to stay in the workforce? What factors about their like work life made that possible? I mean, it, I think it really comes down to remote work. The people that could do their jobs remotely were able to keep their jobs, um, and the people that couldn't didn't. It, it was so it was remote work, the ability to work remotely, and then virus exposure. Because the people who, you know, maybe, you know, could still go into work didn't want to be exposed to the virus or were exposed to the virus and needed to be home, got sick, had relatives to care for who also got sick. This is a big factor. Health issues um, for women of mm-hmm. color, low-wage workers were um, more prevalent as well. And how how did this pandemic economic downturn differ from prior recessions? You mentioned that in your piece as well, that like not only were women's workforce, was women's workforce participation pretty, were we starting from a high point, but the way this pandemic affected the economy was just different than other downturns we've seen before, right? Yeah, and that's been true the whole time. So good on economists and everyone else for talking yeah. about it in the, I guess, right way. But yeah. yeah, typically in recessions, in the Great Recession, they called it, there were headlines saying man session. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know if that's the greatest term or not. <laughs> but, um, I hate that. <laughs> it's bad, right? Man session, yeah. she yeah. session. Yeah, like, yeah, all of it. Yeah, All of it. Burn it all to the ground. <laughs> so in the in the Great Recession... Men suffered the majority of the job loss because it was like manufacturing got hit. Okay. If you remember the real estate bubble, hap- you know, bubble popped. So home builders went out of business. Construction workers were without jobs, yada, yada, yada. And a lot of times in a, in a recession, like if there's a, a, a couple at home, the man loses mm-hmm. his job, the woman might not have been working and then goes to work in the service industry, picks up mm-hmm. some of the slack. This time it was like all those service industry jobs were gone. So it was just kind of upside down. Yeah. And you mentioned this before, and I know, you know, I don't, I'm sure you anticipated this as you were publishing this article. And and I don't want our listeners who are very hardworking and well-educated, who are just having a really hard time and were able to keep their jobs to think they're left out of the conversation. It's just kind of reframing the conversation. So why are all of these details important to policymakers watching these trends and determining how to address them? Like, how are the... The women that were able to keep their jobs are obviously still part of this conversation. Oh, my gosh. They're definitely still part of this conversation. And I think you're like, yes, I am. (laughs) I would like to be included in this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's important because policymakers need to understand the situations of people's real lives in order to theoretically anyway help them live their lives. They need, you know, working women need childcare support. They need paid leave. They need good health insurance. They need a lot of things. Um, what they don't need, maybe at least higher educated women is the actual jobs themselves, but they need mm-hmm. a lot of other kinds of support. What do you think are some sort of like, does this change the sort of approach that has been touted as the best way to, I feel like the the most common 
policy that we talk about when you talk about women's ability to work and thrive at work and progress at work is paid leave. So it seems like that doesn't really change with this, this, this research or this outcome, because as you've talked about, like the women that were able to keep their jobs, like I know plenty of women who did not, they were the childcare. They just, they couldn't leave their jobs because they were able to stay at home. And that was a good enough reason to keep their job, but they were still doing all of the childcare. Yeah. I don't have the numbers right offhand, but I mean, the there was a period of time in the pandemic where men and women at home were splitting childcare and housework more equally, Whoa. a brief shining moment. Yeah. Um, but in the intervening months, as more men went back to work, it started, the, the scales tilted again, and then women were taking on just many, many, many more hours. Is, are there any more kind of like storylines about maybe not even specifically women and the pandemic and the economy, but just about when we talk about women in the economy? I mean, we all kind of rely on a shorthand because it's useful and it's motivating when we talk about how we want things to change. But yeah. are, what, are, what are some other trends that you kind of look at where there are other factors that maybe need a little bit more amplification to get like a more precise uh, resolution? Well, another interesting thing about lady stuff that I worked on this week, <laughs> yeah. um, Pew came out with some nice analysis of census data that showed there are actually 22 cities in the United States where women out-earn men, which is weird enough that really I wrote surprising. about it. Yeah, yeah. It was surprising. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then you kind of dig into the numbers, and there are some things to pay attention to, which can lead policymakers to their those solutions we mm -hmm. talked about, I guess. Um, the first is that when women or men are starting out in their careers, pay is not dissimilar. There's less of a gender gap. It's pretty oh, that's, minimal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm sure you're not surprised and you cover Yeah, all that's this interesting. Stuff. So it's like yeah. one of the reasons that the pay was more equal, like presumably as these women got older and maybe faced more barriers, that's where it breaks down. Exactly. So if you're under 30, go to like, what was the number one one? Was it in like Massachusetts or Wisconsin? It was in like a, a town in uh, Washington State, actually, but oh some, wow, oh right. Also on the list, Seattle was, was there. Yeah, New York City, Washington D.C., L.A. Um, pay was equal for the under thirty women, which is pretty good. So these are like wow. big cities. Um, one factor that um, people were pointing to was, you know, women have earned the majority of college degrees right now. So the cities where they're get they're out earning our cities where there are a lot of jobs for people with advanced degrees, so they're mm -hmm. taking advantage of that too, um, yeah. and the lower yeah and the more narrow wage gaps. Yeah. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. 
They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash fever dream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash fever dream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash fever dream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. So another story that you covered recently was um, companies speaking, not necessarily some of them speaking out about abortion, but others kind of tweaking their own internal policies, which like in its own way is kind of speaking out. I mean, you've been covering this beat for 
a long time, uh, maybe a decade at this point. Um, is this surprising to you? Is this is does this signify like a really big shift for how companies engage with like female employees to you know say they're going to do things like cover cost of travel expenses? What what why are they doing this? Um, yeah, this was really interesting. So I'm sure you have been covering what's going on in Texas. Um, yeah. This very they essentially banned abortion after like six weeks, yeah. which most women don't even know they're pregnant yet. So that was sort of an inflection point for a lot of, not a lot of, mm-hmm. for a couple of companies, if I'm being totally honest, like Match.com yeah. and Bumble at the time said they established basically funds to help employees to deal with that if they lived in Texas, you know, funds to help them travel essentially to get reproductive care. Um, so that was un- unusual because companies though they've been speaking out more about social issues over the past few years, like George Floyd protests, even like recently with don't say the don't say gay bill in Florida, typically companies stay away from abortion because it's very, I guess, divisive. I'm like, really? I hate to say it because I don't think it's divisive. And I'm sure. I know. Well, I I think hopefully this is like the shift where it's like, it's just healthcare. Like, yeah, if if enough companies do that, then it takes the power out of it. If we're just like, oh, well, we can't touch that. Well, yeah, that's why. So, so Bumble and Match, they did these funds, which is, I'm not saying is bad, but it was sort of like extra, right? And then City mm-hmm. a few weeks ago in, um, in a filing, like a corporate filing to the SEC noted that they were expanding their health insurance policy to cover travel expenses for women who needed abortions in states with restrictive policies. They didn't say Texas. They just said in states with restrictive policies. Yeah. And then when I Got found it. out the details, it was just like, oh, this is just going to be part of their health insurance policy. And it turns out um, Apple also has that kind has a health insurance policy where women, if they need to travel, mm-hmm. they can um, get it paid for. And I, I haven't dug in much further. And if you have listeners who mm-hmm. know of other companies with policies, i I would bet that there are other companies with policies that just aren't saying anything about mm-hmm. it. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. Is it a turning point? I don't know. I, I think given there's only a few examples I can point to suggests that companies are not looking to get into this the yeah. way that they're getting into these <laughs> other policies. Do you know what I mean? Um, right. For sure. The ones you name sounds like they don't have a tremendous amount to, to lose. I mean, like, I mean this in a good way, like that tracks for Bumble. I, I'm mm-hmm. sure that's not like aberrant behavior for a company like Bumble to you know, it's not right. that like surprising. Yeah. But the last story I wanted to talk about that you've written recently is about uh, childcare worker shortages. Because as we started this conversation, for all women child that have children, childcare is a huge factor in their work life uh, in in some way. And you wrote about kind of like why they're the reasons behind a childcare worker shortage. And it looks like it's because the pay is so low. That seems pretty dire. I mean, how do we get out of this? <laughs> This seems very, whenever I think about this, this seems hopeless because it's like people only have so much money to pay on childcare, but people also need to be paid enough to live. I mean, what's, what's the landscape for childcare workers right now? Oh, Amanda, it's terrible. <laughs> oh. um, I spoke to one childcare operator who was like, we're competing to hire workers yeah. with McDonald's down the street. They're, <laughs> Target is paying oh. $24. You know, we can pay like 15 an hour. Um, and that is really the landscape, right? Like childcare workers are among the lowest paid in the United States, far lower than kindergarten teachers um, or, yeah, any teachers. Yeah. And now with the with um, wages rising in so many private industries, you know, Target, McDonald's, et cetera, it's even harder to get, you know, people to do these jobs, which are, A, hard jobs, and B, like require some education and care yeah, and thoughtfulness. Right. Um, an average pay is like a solo eleven dollars an hour, I think, nationwide. Last time we checked, Abominable. and the, 
And it's just like you said, there's parents can only afford to pay so much, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, most parents send kids to public schools, not private. I don't know why I just said that, but parents can only afford to pay so much. And um, it's just an industry that really requires public support. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what um, I think our listeners definitely like read Axios and love it. What are some other what are some stories that you're coming out with in the next coming weeks? What are some other trends that you're like when you like wake up in the morning? What's like the first thing you're looking for for an update? What are you eager to like find out how it how it fell out? <sighs> so, I mean, we cover I cover markets at Axios, though. I'll, I'll always want to cover my first love, just women, you know. Yes. But um, <laughs> so I look at, you know, I'm obsessed with the labor market and what's going yeah. on there now. And um, this Friday is the latest unemployment numbers. So we'll definitely be looking right. at that. Oh, great. Yes. Um, you know, where I'm also somehow covering the war in Ukraine and sanctions there. <laughs> yeah, right. um, so we're on top of all that. Um, there's just so much going on. We're heading into, has everyone done their taxes? I'll be on, Ugh, I'll be, I'll be on that. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. We will be, we will be reading all of that. That is our show today until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman and this is the Betches Sub Podcast. Bye. The Betcha Sup podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.